Welcome back to our Venture Sprout podcast, where we feature spin-ups and new codes that Vizient members are developing and launching across the country. I'm your host, Crystal Mollis, Vice President of Digital Virtual Experience and Ventures at Vizient. In this episode, we will feature Medically Home, an at-home program which enables health systems to safely deliver care to high and medium acuity patients in their own homes. Joining me today is Raphael Rakowski, the Executive Chairman of Medically Home. Welcome to our podcast, Raphael. Thank you, Crystal. Very nice to meet you. Great. Thank you. It's so nice to meet you. And we'll start off with an introduction for our podcast listeners who may not know about you and Medically Home. So tell us more about yourself and also the story of Medically Home and how the company came to be. Well, I was trained as an engineer and had a career basically redesigning factories and I got into healthcare in the late 90s. I was president of American Healthways. We had about 3 million patients under our care with chronic disease. And about 12 years ago, I was joining the board of an academic medical center where coincidentally my father was admitted as a patient. And I thought it would be helpful if I kept the diary of his care while I was going through the interview process. And unfortunately, while I was watching, he lost his life to three medical errors and that that's when Medically Home was born. As I studied what happened, and these are obviously well-intentioned people, very competent and talented clinically and otherwise, it was the first time I discovered that 65% of the cost of care is bricks and mortar overhead, leaving only 35% to actually provide clinical care to patients. And based on my background and my orientation, the obvious question was, what if we took the money that we're spending on patient care for bricks and mortar overhead and provided much more care over a longer period of time to patients in another setting, which obviously would led me to the question of the home. And at that time, and again, this is over 12 years ago, the idea of decentralizing healthcare, which had been centralized for two centuries, was really a daunting idea. But in my view, the ability to take that spend that we have on overhead in hospitals and move that spend to much more care over a longer period of time, allowing a patient to fully recover from an acute illness, where today there is so much pressure on hospitals to move patients out quickly because of the economic model. That was the vision. About the 12-year journey in about one minute is the next thing was a lot of work and design on how you would, in fact, decentralize those 18 services that are provided in the hospital and mobilize them and bring them to the home and how you would centralize clinicians and which clinicians got centralized, which ones were dispatched to the home. All of the logistics and engineering to enable something like this idea was the work that began, let's say, for the first five years of Medically Home. And then an enormous amount of focus on the two different types of patients that could possibly be cared for at home in this type of model. One is a lower acuity. Think of a cellulitis or a patient with pneumonia that isn't that old, that requires hospitalization, but isn't serious and complex compared to someone, let's say, with COVID and cancer and another associated chronic issue. Those patients obviously require a lot more attention with greater dispatch and a greater need for monitoring and care interaction. So I was interested in that higher acuity, very serious and complex patient, and they represent about 25 to 30% of patients in hospitals today versus those lower acuity patients, which represent 5%. So the vision was build out an enterprise, a clinical enterprise, caring for patients for 30 days at home as an alternative to a hospitalization with a single care team, no transitions, no handoffs, and fuse together what today is acute care, post-acute care, and population health into a single episode with a single care team on behalf of the patient, and importantly, the family, integrating the family fully into the care. So that was the idea. 
Australia across these many, many years. Four years ago, Medically Home saw its first patients in Boston and then partnered with Harvard Vanguard Atreus Health along with then MGH. And then the rest of the journey involves a lot of new health systems that have joined us, including our announcement last week of Mayo Clinic and Kaiser Permanente being partners and senior investors in Medically Home. So that's the journey. It began with an unfortunate event, and now it's become a major movement in the market, as you probably all know. It's really, really shifted towards this idea of moving more care to the home. I love that you said it's a movement because it is stemming from the passion and the experience that you had around changing the way care is delivered and the right care is delivered in a safe and effective way. The other thing I love about it is it really does solve for creating access to care in the home that is probably five, even 10 years ago. The fact that you were a visionary on it was hard for people to even imagine. And now you're delivering on that. So talk about how Medically Home works. What does it look like for patients or customers and even providers? How do they get value from it? Yeah, the best way to describe it is imagine a four-legged stool. I'm going to go through each of the four legs. And then after describing it, this is through the lens of how providers understand care delivery. And then I'll walk you through the patient experience. So the four legs of the stool crystal, first is a command center. I'm sitting in one right now that's staffed by emergency physicians, hospitalists, intensivists, 24-7 managing the attending function of patients around the clock and also being available to the patient's family, both inbound and outbound. And that physician group, if you will, in that command center is supported by nurses and nurse practitioners and a whole cadre of professionals called service coordinators that are managing those orders that are generated by physicians to ensure that every medical order that's generated is fulfilled on time in the patient's home. So that's the command center. Leg one, 24-7 medical command center, inbound, outbound, supporting patients and their families. Leg two, the technology that goes in the home that allows us in under 40 minutes to basically set up a temporary med surge bed inside of the patient's home. So think of backup power, backup cell signal and internet access, communication equipment, vitals monitoring, both real-time and intermittent, emergency response system, equipment and supplies, all placed in the patient's home and allow that patient's home and that bed in the home to operate in a high-acuity environment. That's leg two. Leg three, all of the services that are currently delivered reliably centrally in a hospital. So think of infusion nurses, phlebotomy, PTOT, meals, labs, imaging, all of those services have to be mobilized and brought to the patient's home. So the third leg is an integrated supply chain of services that come to the patient's home from physician's orders as if they would have come to the patient's bedside in the hospital, except fully integrated and delivered to the patient's home around the clock. That's leg three. Three and leg four, the software that allows all of this to work, which we named Seisha, C E S I A, which I shamelessly named after my mother, which is part of the story of how Medically Home was born. That software operates this entire platform of serious and complex care at home, but fully integrates and interoperates with the host electronic medical record, which in most cases has been Epic and Cerner. So allows physicians to continue to document in their host system and allows them to write orders in their host system. But all of the activity that goes on in patient care goes into the SATIA system and interoperates with the host DMR. So those are the four, if you will, platforms. Those platforms don't just provide hospital care at home. It also provides 
provides emergency medicine at home. It also provides oncology care at home. And if you reimagine the healthcare delivery system that has the ability to distribute and rapidly bring care to patients wherever they are, that's what medically home looks like. So I'll give you maybe two or three very simple crystal patient experiences. One is the patient reaches the ED. Let's say they have COVID or combined with another issue. They're worked up and they're qualified and they meet criteria for admission. They're given an alternative. Do you want to go upstairs and be admitted to the hospital? Or we have a temporary hospital that we could set up in your home. Patient opts for this program. They're transported back home. A paramedic goes into their home, physically sets up this entire med search temporary hospital bed that I referred to earlier in under 40 minutes. And now their first care call happens with their care team, which is on a custom iPad very unique interface that was designed for patients that had very low tech acuity. And now the patient meets their entire clinical team, physicians, nurses, service coordinators, and the program of care begins. And the orders that physicians provide that allows this care to happen, patients now are told and are shown when these services are being provided. And they're basically going through a five-star experience, understanding what services are coming, how they're delivered, and the care team in the command center is managing this seamlessly 24-7 for the patient. And let's say that acute phase of this patient's care where they're on IV medication requiring a lot of interaction, let's say it's seven days. The moment that's over, and let's say perhaps they now move to oral medication, Crystal, from that point forward, they would be in what traditionally is called post-acute care. But in our model, it's restorative care. And for the next 20 plus days, we work with the patient and family to try to discover what it was that caused this issue and how to ensure this issue does not come back. And we're basically combining now restorative slash post-acute care with population health and really working very, very closely with the patients with the same care team because we've established so much trust with the patient and family during the acute phase, we're leveraging that trust and relationship and connectivity to keep the patient on service while we move into this next phase of the care. At the end of this journey, and I'm using that first example of a patient from the ED, we seamlessly transition that patient back to their PCP. They're fully integrated with what happened during their course of care. In some cases, patients don't have a PCP, and we assure that they get a PCP. That model is a good example of what we might call acute care substitution. That same chassis or platform can be used to dispatch an ED program into the home where we're actually sending EMTs and paramedics tethered to emergency room physicians in that same command center and actually providing emergency medicine care. And some percentage of those patients will be fully resolved after that visit to the home, Crystal. Some will actually require hospitalization at home. And finally, some will require escalation and need to be transported to an actual physical hospital. And that's a second way the patient experienced the program. And the third and final way I'll cover those others, but just for brevity, the third way is patients uh, got cancer and they're on a clinical trial, a very aggressive protocol that might include chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery. We stay with that patient the entire journey. In one case, it's a six-month protocol, and we are providing care to them as an alternative for them frequently using both the hospital's ED and a med surge bed. So in all cases, the command center, the tech in the home, the services that we're reliably are delivered to bedside, and the technology work to basically create a new virtual hospital to care for patients around the clock where they want to be cared for, which is at home. I think that's fantastic. You know, as a former critical care nurse, CVICU nurse, it's astounding to me what you've been able to accomplish with this platform. So it's really, really intriguing. It's very exciting for both, I think, providers and consumers. Although I was going to ask you this question, how do you get providers to a place where they realize this is disintermediating (laughs) their acute care model so that they will make an investment and go forward with it? 
It's a fantastic question. I just came out of a meeting a few minutes ago talking about this. So the quote-unquote market of hospitals, and let's say you created cohorts of hospitals 10 years ago, five years ago, a year ago, and now it's dramatically shifted. So I would say that in the past, let's call it five years ago, it was impossible for a hospital CFO to understand how moving a patient and the revenue associated with that patient out of the hospital made sense. The shift there began because a lot of hospitals that are full, particularly hospitals in deep metropolitan areas that had issues with needing to decompress their ED or their med search floor. The alternative was actually building another tower with 40 to 50 beds at two to $3 million a bed. So those hospitals had a quick understanding of the need for flexible capacity. And this, of course, was before COVID. So there was no need to convince them of this idea because they had a capacity problem. COVID, as you would know, <laughs> created a massive understanding, deep psychological understanding of the mismatch between supply and demand of services during a pandemic in the United States around hospital capacity. So that consciousness now doesn't require any explanation to any hospital that was overwhelmed by COVID. So that's one group. Let's call that capacity sensitive. That group went from, let's say, 4 to 5% of American hospitals to now 20 plus percent, maybe 30% of American hospitals. 138 U.S. health systems have applied and have been approved for the Hospital Without Walls waiver from CMS for payment. And that's another artifact of understanding this capacity issue. Second group has serious risk. They've taken on risk. They're capitated. They have an ACO, maybe an ACO on steroids. They recognize that a value-based program is not only here, but it's probably going to amplify in the current environment. And they want a site of care that actually reduces their exposure to costs because they're now highly incented to keeping those patients in sites of care that maximizes value. That group, Krista, was tiny (laughs) over the last probably 10 years. And now it's finally emerging. And because, again, of COVID and other factors, they've immersed as a force. The third group, brand new, let's say six months old, they are seeing significant declines, 10 to 35% declines in ED volume. Patients are afraid of going to their ED. Family members are afraid if their family member ends up in the hospital, they won't be able to visit them and they might even lose them. So you're seeing a reluctance by patients to come to the hospital. And that drop in volume has caused hospital systems to say, "What? wait a minute, if our front door to our business model is being threatened, we need to re-examine and possibly do this to ourselves. Which leaves me with my friend, Mark Prather, who built a wonderful company called Dispatch Health. And his business model is to disintermediate the hospital. And a lot of the investors in that group are obviously payers. And the recognition that the dual forces, triple forces actually of COVID combined with declining volume, combined with players coming from the outside who are not fully aligned with the hospital has caused an enormous interest by hospital systems, both here in the US, crystal and abroad. So that's what's changed. So I would say that I got on average year about three to five calls a year, and now I'm getting about three to five a day. And the last piece, obviously, is our announcement last week with Mayo and Kaiser and their investment and partnership with Medically Home. And because they're so well recognized for their commitment to quality and serious and complex care and and value in the case of Kaiser, that announcement has caused an extraordinary movement and recognition that our model is different and it's focused on this more serious and complex care cohort. So all those things together has caused an enormous change in consciousness by health systems. I think that's fantastic. And you're right. There is some silver lining in this pandemic, right? That has accelerated a lot as it relates to digital health. And Hospital at Home has certainly and is certainly experiencing some strong momentum. Raphael, it's been great having you join us today. And we'll continue our discussion in our next episode. And to our audience, thank you for listening to this episode of the Venture Sprout podcast.
If you are a Vizient member and subscribe to our network offerings, we encourage you to register to attend our full experience on the new digital frontier as we explore healthcare spinups and new co's. This experience includes additional podcasts featuring the new co's and a matchmaking venture summit. In that summit, we will feature several member spinups and give you the opportunity to have one-on-one conversations to explore relationships that could lead to investment opportunities, co-development, and or a buying opportunity with these companies. So if you're a C-suite leader, you've received an email from us to register for these events. We look forward to seeing you there. 